0: Ladies, let's pray. Lord God, King of everything, uh, we just thank you so much that we can come together and uh, and learn about you and worship you. And um, I thank you for this morning that we get to dig into your word and learn about this beautiful, incredible creation that you made. Amen. Good morning. Um, I am, it is weird hearing my voice so loud. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am so excited to be here with you this morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jenny, and um, I usually am a part of one of the night groups, so I don't, I don't know all of your faces, um, but I'm still very excited to be here. I would like to get, just to think for a second about what have your experiences with Genesis One been like historically for for you. Um, Maybe you are a part of a church that has, or Sunday schools or Bible studies or whatever, that has um, not spent much time in Genesis. You guys have focused a lot on the Gospels and the story of Jesus, and um, so it's less familiar. Maybe um, you have dug into, um, or maybe you grew up doing a lot of like the Bible stories. Uh, You know, you've got like creation, and Adam and Eve, and then Noah, and then you've got like a couple little stories throughout. Um, Maybe Genesis 1 for you, like my experiences growing up, has been more of a fight about um, how we got here, how we were made, the age of the earth, and so you spent your time fighting about it rather than standing in wonder before it, right? So... I would like us to try to set some of that aside and to come to scripture with fresh eyes and see what's there for us, right? So let's let's just dive right in. <laughs> um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we all bring a cultural lens. We all bring our own ideas and our thoughts to things, um, to everything, right? This isn't just scripture, but there's a lot less at stake for what you bring to Charlotte's Web than what you bring to Genesis, right? And so to prove a point, if you were to think about this verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Everyone just close your eyes for a second and picture it in your mind's eye. What do you see, right? What is that picture in your head? Um, Anybody want to just shout out a couple of things? What's the image in your head? What's happening? I'm sorry? clouds okay explosion of, stars. explosion of stars yes separation separation okay that's a good one that's a new one darkness. darkness okay anybody have like a picture of like the stars of space and like the globe and maybe not formed maybe it's kind of this like weird shapeless orby thing right <laughs> um, well if you were to think about it historically we haven't had that image of the world as a globe for very long, right? And back at this time, they may not have even known that the world was any particular shape of any kind, right? And so the heavens and the earth for them means the land and the sky. That's actually what those words mean. In the next verse it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the face of, sorry, the surface of the watery depths and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Okay, we've got waters. We have those two words, formless and empty. Those words in Hebrew are tovu vavohu, and um, they mean like chaos, right? Wanton and waste. There's not a lot of... um, I, am I messing up? Okay. We got it. You can hear me. Um, it means it means wanton and waste. So there's no form and there's nothing in it. Now, if we were to step back to the word created, created for us, if we were to talk, especially in our modern context of create, we're talking about, we're thinking probably of like made from nothing. There's, there's no, um, you can't like plagiarize or borrow this idea of intellectual property. That's a very modern thought. Create, for them, has to do more with giving it order and function. It has to do actually with naming. So in Egypt, um, something wasn't given a function until it had a name. The name brought the function. And so that actually will come in right later on when God names things. He calls stuff. Let me take another step back and talk about how this Genesis, the author of Genesis, wrote this for all time, right? Scripture is written for all of us, but it was also written to this people and the culture they lived in so that it wouldn't feel foreign and unfamiliar. They wouldn't read this or hear it, because a lot of them probably didn't read, and go, what is that, right? It would, it would speak to them. And so you've got a lot of echoes happening in storytelling. You will see through my slides, I've got a lot of mythology that, it, that is reflective. Now, I could probably do a whole talk just about storytelling and the way that God has written the story of all time and the gospel on our hearts so deeply that we can't help but tell it. And if you think about it, fairy tales and all of those movies, that idea of a formula, it's there because it is what our heart most desires is the gospel, right? But I don't have time for that. (laughs) I could give you some resources if you want for um, other places to go listen to it. It's amazing. But you will see that in mythology, it echoes scripture. The people knew and they wanted God. They just didn't, they didn't always know the specifics of it. So let's get back to this. We've got stories Colleen, let's go to the next one. That this, this is the picture of formless and void for those people. They saw chaos as water, as a water monster, actually. Um, they called her in, um, I'm forgetting what culture. It was Tiamat. It was in a Mesopotamian culture, but I can't remember specific. Um, and if you go to the next one, that's actually an image of her. That was what they pictured was chaos and that everything was born from chaos. So this idea of formless and void, this is what God is going to change. There, God came and he created something out of, not necessarily nothing, but out of chaos. And he gave order and he gave function and he gave beauty, right? All right, let's go to the next. So what you'll see, I lined these days up here. I'm not going to read every verse. I tried this last night when I was running through. It took way too long. So since you don't want to be here all day listening to this, I'm sure that a lot of you read Genesis 1 already. Um, I will just put the verses up there, and you can look as I'm talking. But I'm sorry. Go back. One thing. Thank you. (laughs) So these three on this side, they're going to be the spaces that God creates. And then the next three on on the other side, are the way that he fills those spaces. You might have heard this before, or you might have even noticed it. Um, But he gives them form, and then he fills the form, right? That formless and empty. So let's, okay, let's go to the next one now. Perfect. God made light, and he um, separated the light from the darkness. He made night and day. And so um, the, the ancient people didn't necessarily see light as having like being totally connected to the sun or the stars. And so that's, that's why you see kind of some weirdness about this. <laughs> but we've got day and night. So that gives us um, time and space. That's our first space. And then next we have the second day. God made water and separated the water from the sky. So we have sky and water. Um one thing that's really interesting about this, this is another reflection that we have of this in ancient cultures, is that um, if you go to the next one, you'll see this is an Egyptian picture of that like person, that's the big arch right there. She's the goddess Newt. Um, and she was the sky. And you can actually see like a river going up over her when it says that God separated the waters from above from the waters of below, this is how people pictured it. And then underneath her is uh, Shu. He's the air god. Holds her up. Um, And then the stars are sort of like embedded in her. Um, And then at the bottom is the earth. And then if you go to the next one, this is a Mesopotamian um, image of the same thing. That, that guy on the, uh, on the right is Shamash. Um, he was the sun god for their culture. And then they've got the firmament above. All right, let's move on. Day three. We have a lot happening here. But basically, God made the land. And he separated the land from the seas. And so now we have our three spaces. Just kind of a fun note, um, you see that um, at the end, it says there was evening and a morning, rather than a morning and an evening. That's just another shift in our perspective. The ancient Jewish people uh, viewed day as starting with sunset. And so it it shows even here. All right, so now we're going to start filling those days. Day four, we have the sun, moon, and stars. And so we fill the space. Day five, we have the birds and the sea creatures and the animals of the sky and the waters. Sorry, Lisa, I'm cooking on these slides. It'll slow down in a second. (laughs) And so day six, we have, there's a lot of verses. I'm going to read this one for you. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And God also said, look, I've given you seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning the sixth day. So that's kind of a lot of a lot of different things. I just put creations who lived on the land. Um, so we have the three spaces, right? We have time and space, sky and water's land, and then the accidents, or like the creations that fill time and space, sky and water, and land. And there's this funny thing that happened where um, we've got a chapter break there, right? Now chapter breaks are not sacred; they weren't part of scripture originally. The ones we use today were written or were created by a man named Stephen Langton, and um, he was very busy trying to make the Magna Carta happen, and so he might have been a little sloppy <laughs> with it. But um, we've got this really weird break right here, like just put it three verses later. But because of that, sometimes we can stop here and think like, hey, we have reached the culmination of creation. This is the big deal. We've got humans, right? And to some extent, there, it is the culmination. The hu- The human, the creation of humanity um, is so important, but it's not the most important. And so I'm going to introduce you to kind of this um, way that you see, in the, in the literary sense, some stuff going on here. The first thing is sevens, right? Because we haven't talked about the seventh day. And so if you go to the next, God called, it, God called the creations good, right? He named them and good. And he does that seven times. It's a little bit weird that he doesn't call the sky and waters good, but, um, <laughs> but we've got seven goods, or very goods. Within this. And then we have the first line is seven words. And then the next verse is two lines of seven words. And then I couldn't fill it in and make it all fit here, but just trust me, the next part is three lines of seven words. Um, and so there's there's something going on here. Um, this is Genesis, this first part of Genesis, especially the first the creation narrative, like. I don't want to say first chapter, but you know what I mean, is called elevated prose. It's it's not quite pro poetry, and it's not quite um, like regular prose historical language. It's somewhere in between, and so you've got these interesting literary things going on that are pointing to something else, right? It's sort of there's also other like the the there are some words in there in the last line that spell out Yahweh when um, when man is made. It's I don't know. I could go on and on, but I would bore you guys (laughs) if I did that. But all of that to say, we're reaching this point. mm, Okay. So what we have here, we've got like the first section. If we were to break this in a trilogy, we've got like the big intro, right? And then we have the middle section. These six days are like the middle section. They're the transition. They're not the big culmination. The, the next lines of scripture are the culmination. And let's actually go to that. This is the big, oh, nope, I did it in the wrong order. It's not your fault. <laughs> um, the, next, the next line is, or the next section is the culmination. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done and he rested from all his work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Okay, so let's go back to that, the one I did out of order. This is what I'm proposing for you this morning. I grew up fighting about how people were created in in terms of Genesis 1, but I would like to ask if maybe, just consider that maybe Genesis 1 is about why we were created more than how we were created, right? That the point of it is this next part. It's actually to set up all of scripture. Um, We're gonna get all the way to the end of Revelation. You don't know this about me if you haven't watched my stuff before. I'm an overachiever and I try to cover the whole Bible and every time I teach. Um, but, um, But this is actually setting up the whole story, right? And so it's about why are we here? What are we doing? Why are we on earth? Why did God create us? We've talked. I've shown these like ways that there's these myths that mirror what's happening, and it's not the similarities that matter; it's the differences. That's that's the point, right? It's how is God different? What did He do? Why did He create us like this? Um, let's let's go to the next one. So, uh, yep, there we go. Um, So this, I just want to highlight, we've got this part of the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and empty, and then in this bottom section, it's clearer in the Hebrew, but you can still see it. So the heavens and earth and everything in them were completed. You've got these bookends going on right here. And then you have those goods that we talked about, right? God called it good, he called it good, but at the end, he calls the Sabbath holy. And holy is kind of one of those Christianese words that we use and we know what it means, but maybe we don't, like, know what it means. It means set apart. Something can be holy even though the substance of it is no different, right? Substant- substantively, nope, I still said it wrong, whatever. It, <laughs> it is the same thing, but because God set it apart, or you could even think of this in terms of your own family, right? We all have traditions we do on birthdays, on Christmas. There are things that are set apart. Maybe um, like us on the first day of school, you get donuts. It's like a, a family tradition for us. There is nothing more special about those donuts than the ones that we would have purchased the day before. But it's a, it's a tradition. It's kind of one of those things that the kids look forward to and that they remember. It's set apart. Now, I'm not going to say that it's holy, like the things that God did, but it's the same idea, right? God set certain things apart to be something that we could latch onto with our hearts. And for for this case, it is the Sabbath. He set it apart. Now, the Sabbath is something bigger than I... When I started digging into it, this is bigger than even like where my mind was going. So I'm going to... I'm going to kind of go back to the ancient Near East, and I'm going to back up just a little bit, and I'm going to talk about that idea, the image of God, that we talked about on the sixth day. God made um, made man. Now, I didn't know that the image of God was a phrase that was used in the ancient Near East. And so here is a few different ways that it was used. That phrase was used to talk about an idol, right? Uh, it could be little, it could be big. The Israelites made one in the wilderness of a calf, um, but that was like a physical small image of a god. Or monument serves in pri- monuments served by priests in temples. So you've got, we don't have like bronze age temples that are really well kept, but we do have like the Parthenon, right? Um, we have at least some parts of it still. And if you go to Tennessee, you can see like what it would have looked like with this gigantic statue. Um, We have, trying to think, I can't think off the top of my head, but we do have, even in Egypt, there are some where there's these big monuments of gods in there, and the priests would feed them and clean them and pray to them and, like, try to take care of them. And then we have kings and pharaohs. So we actually have people called the image of God. Um, Pharaohs in Egypt were seen as the image of Ra, the creator god. Now that is contemporary with the time that Genesis was written. Ra was the the god in favor at the time. There was a different one before, but at this point they were called sons of Ra. Um, and so they were seen sort of like a mini god here on earth, reflecting the pantheon of the Egyptian gods, right? And then the Assyrians, actually had a proverb that would say, the king is the perfect likeness of God. They were rulers on earth that were rep- representatives of the gods. But like I said before, it's the differences that matter, right? So for us, we're talking, I put the uh, imago dei, the Latin phrase, um, just so, I don't know, you could see the the difference. Um, But so we've um, we've got the same idea, the image of God, but it's the differences that matter. So the humans, we humans are called, I have this right in front of me. I don't know why I keep looking. The humans are called the images of God, but it is our callings, our qualities, and our spirits that reflect God rather than a physical image. We reflect God to creation. We are like not necessarily our skin and bones as much as our creativity, our humanity, our souls, our compassion. That is a reflection to all of creation, of God, or at least it's supposed to be, right? We could all probably work a little more in that area. Then um, next, talking about temples and priests, now that Jesus has accomplished the work of saving us and conquering sin and death, we have um, complete access to God. We can pray directly to him. We don't have to go to a temple and give stuff to a priest, but we are called into a royal priesthood. That's actually something um, that the Bible says. We reflect creation to God, right? And then when God gave Adam dominion over earth, he made Adam a ruler over creation with all the rights, the responsibilities that come with that task, and we act as God's representative here on earth. Now, if you think I'm overstating this, um, 1 Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possessions, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There we go, Okay, Um, So we are here to be, we get to do all of these jobs. God created humanity for more than just existing on this place, right? We don't just, we're not just here to be here. Um, Sometimes, you know, in like modern society, there's kind of, you have to find your own individual purpose. Like God gave us purpose right? It's not just about whatever we feel like it is. Um, sometimes people talk about humans as if we're just a burden to the planet. God didn't mean us to be a burden to the planet. We could in our sinfulness, right? We can be a burden to the planet or to our family or to, you know, all sorts of things. But we were meant, we were called for a purpose. And, um, and a lot of that is seen in the idea of a temple. I think I actually asked you this in your, um, in your, lesson um, in your, I can't, whatever, in the book, the booklet. Um, In the questions, I asked you to think about the idea of a temple. And that might have seemed a little bit far-fetched at the time, because I didn't really write a lot about it. But um, John H. Walton, who's, he's kind of this expert on, um, on ancient Near East people and on the Old Testament, he said, given the connection between temple and rest in the ancient Near East, so that, He wrote out this whole thing about how there was this connection. You didn't want to read all of it. Just trust me, it was there. It becomes natural to see the biblical creation of the cosmos as being configured in temple building and dedication terms. The seven-day creation account culminating in divine rest should be understood as somehow parallel to the building of temples for divine rest, the creation of a cosmic temple in which Yahweh takes up his repose. Super fancy language, but he's saying that the world is God's temple, right? The world is God's temple. And the people at the Bible Project um, actually have a whole video series. <laughs> Those, I think you guys watched a Bible Project video last week. Um, they have one going on right now about the idea of a royal priesthood. And this is the one on the royal priesthood of Eden. And so you see this image that they put together of on the, on the left side. It's like the world and, and Eden and the garden. And when, in a couple chapters, humans get kicked out, the cherubim, this sort of like angelic um, warrior being is guarding the cherubim, or sorry, the cherubim are guarding the garden so humans can't go in there. But then you've got, that is reflective of the tabernacle or the temple. Tabernacle was just a temple that could be moved because they were nomadic people, right? So you've got the walls, and then the smaller building, and then the Holy of Holies, which is guarded by the cherubim. And, and so there is this um, image written in scripture, this idea of a temple. And this is, OK, I've given you a lot of information, <laughs> but this is what I want to get to. The whole point is that God was making what he was, it was, chapter one was about his creation that he wanted to be forever, right? There was this idea of eternity built into it and that God wanted to live and rule the earth with humans forever. Now we messed it up, but God fixed it. And we're just kind of in this waiting period now. Um, we have unfettered access to God, but we're kind of waiting for the time. Paul says in the New Testament, I think it was Paul. Don't quote me on that. In the New Testament, <laughs> um, it says that, that right now it's like a mirror, that we just get to see a little reflection of what things are going to be like in um, eternity. And back then, mirrors were way worse than they are now. It was just, it's just little glimpses, right? And we, we get to see that, but that God has always planned for this picture of us ruling together and living together in perfect relationship, perfect harmony um, for all of eternity. Now, I actually talked to my seven-year-old about this, <laughs> about what his picture of heaven was like. And it was like probably a lot of people. This, like, white place where you live in perfect holiness, and I don't know, you float on the clouds or something. But that's not the picture that the Bible gives us. It tells us about an earth, a new heaven, a new earth, about people living together with God, about feasts, about homes, about streets, about um, basically all of those things that God made in us. Um, that I talked about, the humanity side of it, the compassion, the creativity, all of those things, the humor, right? Um, Think about (laughs) sometime that you have been just so happy and laughing so hard at something and you just can't, there's nothing bad about that moment, right? God gave us humor. All of these things were not meant to be just temporary, but they're all meant to be eternal. And so, Um, I'm going to go to (laughs) Revelation and show you this. It says, Then I saw a new new earth for the first time, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. I'm going to read here so that I stop cutting out. "Um, Prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. And then I'm skipping ahead a few verses, and it says, I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord... God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of the God, of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. And then jumping back just a little bit to chapter 5, it says, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God by your blood For every tri- from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The rest, so we start with a bang in chapter 1. This is God made perfection, and he made it for us to live Perfectly in relationship with each other and with him and with all of creation and all the beauty of all of this And it's gonna go kind of downhill for the rest of the the book But I wanted to give you this picture of what's coming because the point is that God has already accomplished it Right. He's already defeated sin. He's won and We know what the future holds and we we get to see this image and know that that's coming And so we get to live in hope and not just see um, how we screw things up. (laughs) Um, But we will see that and see that God continually works to fix it and to make all things new. Um, I have a video, but I don't want to take away from your guys' time. So I'm just going to tell you about it. And you can go look it up if you want to. That way you have enough time to talk. But um, it is the song, Is He Worthy? Um, And it is... Andrew Peterson wrote it originally. The one I had going to be up here was um, Chris Tomlin. A lot of people have covered it. It's a beautiful song. Um, But just it actually uses a lot of these verses that uh, I just read to you and um, captures this picture of, I'll just tell you the first part, it says, do you see the world is broken? Right? But it says that um, he is worthy you know, to make all things new, to redeem this, and, and that he, he did, and that we have this coming. So um, go ahead. You can watch it on your own time, or you can play it at the end or whatever. I, it doesn't matter. But um, thank you so much for having me. I hope that you enjoy Genesis <laughs> and enjoy this study as much as I have it. Thank you, Jenny. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and let you guys go into your small groups um, and finish that. But if you don't mind coming back in and putting your chairs away and the table things, really just take the table things um, and put them back there. On-